South Bend, Indiana, I'm Jacob Titus. Welcome to More People. More People is a new article and podcast series written by Joe Molner and published on West SB that explores how South Bend lost 50,000 people in 50 years. On each episode, I'll be joined by Joe and my South Bend on Purpose co-host, Dustin Mix, to discuss the latest article in the series, how it was received online, and what's coming up next. Welcome to episode five of More People. My name is Jacob Titus, and I am joined, as always, by Dustin Mix and Joe Molnar. We are here tonight to discuss the fifth article in Joe's More People series on West SB. The title of this one is The Great Annexation War of South Bend and Her Suburbs. And I think Dustin wanted to get us started with a little conversation about this photo at the top of the article. Yeah, I don't I don't have anything crazy insightful to say besides the tank looks fake to me. Yeah. yeah. Like it's like too smooth. I don't know. It just looks like something out of like a a movie or it's very odd. Right. Right. So the tank in question. Um, the tanking question, let me pull up the caption here. It's a photo from downtown South Bend in 1919 during a Liberty Loan parade. Uh, so this was like kind of a fundraising effort for World War One in downtown South Bend. It's looking at kind of where Chicory Cafe is today. Uh, so that building had not been built yet, I believe. And, uh, yeah, the parade is led by a tank that it says it was manufactured locally by Oliver Chilled Plowworks. And uh, Dustin, you have a uh, good eye because the tank is indeed uh, fake. <laughs> I am trying to find someone did information. Someone explained yeah. it. <clears throat> yeah, so here here's an explanation. It says the faux tank made by Oliver was just a parade float in the fundraising event that the parade was. As you can see, it's actually a wheeled vehicle underneath. The track was fake. It was made to look like a British Mark V tank. Uh, so yeah, he and, and this guy posted another photo. Uh, maybe I can throw this in the show notes of the tank, uh, where it is very obviously fake. Uh, you would not <laughs> trust this kind of like... Uh, and it even looks like they used like leftover sheet metal to make it in this picture uh, because it's kind of dented and stuff. <laughs> they have like painted on the side over the top with the Liberty loan. <laughs> so yeah, there's a uh, nothing real. And it seems like even the uh, there's like treads on it mm-hmm. that like on a real tank would be used to drive it. Uh, those are definitely in this photo. It looks like just made out of sheet metal. <laughs> so <laughs> they're not going anywhere. All right. I'll stop there. That's the so, yeah, extent of good, my analysis on this article. Good call. <laughs> and and really the, the photo doesn't have anything directly to do with um, annexation or the uh, story of population decline. But uh, 
we wanted to use this annexation war framing because it really was, um, we, we'll get to that later, it really was an annexation war between South Bend and the suburbs. And uh, the tank really got the message across. <laughs> it's also not often you see that many people in downtown South Bend anymore. That is true. It's always uh, always good to see. Well, so Joe, it. yeah, do you want to get us started with maybe uh, maybe a little bit of your thoughts on why was this article needed? Why why is the fifth article about this um, annexation struggle and the history of annexation in South Bend? Sure. So I think part of the reason I wrote it was just because it was really interesting, and just I thought the story should be told about mm. this this conflict between South Bend and her suburbs. Um, but from a bigger perspective, why is it fit into the more people series? And why does it as of today, it's the longest article in the series. Like, why are we devoting so much to annexation? And really like annexation is a boring word. Like it's not really a fun topic. We don't think <laughs> about, but that is literally how a city grows. Um, so, so, I start, so what is annexation? So yeah, for the very bare bones. So in, at least in the United States and in Indiana, cities are incorporated places with legal boundaries. Um, annexation is ex- changing that legal boundary to include more land. Um, mm-hmm. So if you think of it very simply, if you just had a box and you add it onto the box, um, you're annexing area. Um, so from a very you know simple term, it's just the city boundaries, the city limits are growing. Um, mm. And from the very beginning, this is what all cities in the United States have done and had to do for a very long time. When South Bend was founded, it was a quarter of a square mile. And today it's 40 some square miles. So mm. all that happened through individual annexations piecemeal over time. Um And in places like the Midwest, where you had cities growing that were kind of surrounded by nothing or, you know, farmlands, you grow over time. On the East Coast, they kind of got boxed in by other cities. And now you really don't see any, like, I don't think New York's had an annexation since like 1898 when it, you know, Mm. got all the boroughs into one city. Um, So from a bare bones perspective, that's what annexation is. And that's how you grow the land of your city that's called you know south bend or whatever city you're talking about um and it's pretty vital to how a city grows especially if you're experiencing growth in your metro region um and i i start the whole article that way with asking the question how is a city supposed to grow and i think this story explains kind of that answer how is a city supposed to grow and maybe some conflict between people who live in and out of the city what they think but before we get into the kind of South Bend story of this, can you talk to Joe widely about like what what happens if you find yourself on either side of that border? So like why is the discussion of what part of you know the areas in South Bend and what part is outside of South Bend matter? Sure. So at a bare bones level, um if you're in a city especially if we're talking about Indiana and I think most Midwest cities and even the United States, just in this category, most of your property taxes go to the city government. If you're out of that city and you're just in unincorporated land, um, so you, you just literally have a, a county, that's your first immediate level of government. Mo- 
all your taxes go to that as a, you know, and schools get thrown in there too. Um, in Indiana, it's a little confusing because our school districts don't match up with our city limits. Um, but at a bare bones level, that's what it means. So if you're, if you're in the city of most of your tax dollars go to the city government to pave the roads, um, you know, to provide fire and protect fire police protection, uh, you know, for parks, those types of things. Um, however, in South Bend and most cities, you also pay county taxes. So like I own my, I, you know, have a mortgage on my home. I get a tax bill twice a year. I think like it's about, I've done the math, like 70% of my taxes go to the city. Um, and then 30% go to the county of those, you know, so it's, it's not exactly that I don't pay anything for the county, but if you're in the county and you're in unincorporated St. Joseph County, um, none of it goes to the city. It all just goes mm-hmm. straight to the county. Right. Right. And, and you were saying like, this is vital to how a city grows. Um, but the, the series itself is about kind of like the population decline. And so I think like a way of understanding this is, you know, in the same token of something grew by annexation, um, this can kind of go wrong. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, and that's kind of the funny thing is annexation became really tense and we can you know when we get into that we'll explain this you know the characters and everything that made it so but annexations have been happening since day one for the city um i start the piece with a little bit of introduction explaining the framing behind it but then i i go into the history of the city and of annexations um and so when south bend was first platted like literally two guys alex cookward and one other um owned a piece of land and they thought this would be a really good place for a city um they drew up a plat of it and it's on the article you can look at it it's it's familiar to anyone who knows downtown south bend today you have maine michigan lafayette going north and south and then uh east west streets um and that was the town of south bend it was incorporated in 1835 um, and it took a couple years, but eventually all those plots filled up. Um, you know, people started moving here for a variety of reasons, mostly connected to the river. Uh, they were smart enough to make South Bend the county seat of St. Joe County. Um, and as people came here, there was a there was a need for more land for more houses. Um, so they started to annex territories around this original plat. Um, And it was really simple back then. The town and the city government um, just passed an ordinance saying this land is now in the city limits of South Bend. (laughs) Uh, And that was and the mayor signed it. And that was it later. A little bit later on, I think probably like the 1880s, 1890s, um, the state started putting some qualifications on it, saying, you know, legally, you have to be able to provide you know, city services within a reasonable time frame, which is usually one to three years. And there were a couple other things, but even then it was still a very easy process. Um, and it was typically welcomed by the property owners who owned mm-hmm. those lands that the city wanted to annex because their land usually became a lot more valuable once it was in the city limits because the city services started to come out to it. Um, mm-hmm. Back in this time, the second half of the 19th century, um, you know, the county didn't have a fire department. The county really didn't have a police department or, you know, a road service. It was very bare bones while the city had all these, you know, amenities that they could bring you. So if you annexed into the city, the city could come and, you know, actually pave your road for you or brick your road. 
um, in this case, or at least make it, you know, come and mill it and make it nice and flat. Um, you could be connected to the city water system once you were annexed. Um, so there are all these benefits of joining the city. And as South Bend's population grew, which it did so rapidly um, during this time frame, um, slowly bit by bit, it added more land kind of in a, in a circle around the original, you know, half quarter square mile of land. Right. Right. What are, uh, you list a couple like specific names of kind of what at the time were like very small towns that we annexed. Do you uh, remember any of those? Yeah. So there were two kind of different ways South Bend acquired the land that it got up to like the 1920 period. Um, The first way was literally just fields. Usually it would just be a property owner, um, owned land adjacent to the city limits. Usually these were prominent South Bend people anyway, like the Studebakers show up all the time on these annexation records, the Olivers. Um, they own these large tracts of land and, you know, they they totally agreed and welcomed um, annexation into the city when it was appropriate um, time. But in three instances, the city actually was growing and expanding so much that it bumped into other incorporated towns. So other towns mm. that had city government, a city or a town government, and a town charter. The first of those was Lowell, um, Lowell, Indiana, which there is even today a Lowell, Indiana, um, spelled exactly the same way. Um, but this is literally was just literally across the river from South Bend um, today, what we'd call the East Bank area. Um, and that was the first one in like 1863. So before this, mm. when it was still just the town of South Bend. Um, those two merged. And I don't have too much data on that, but I assume it was, a, you know, a mutual uh, and you know, agreement between the two that it would be yeah. better to go, you know, together. And South Bend was the bigger city on the bigger part of the bank. Um, so South Bend kept the name um, further along, like 30 years later in the 1880s, South Bend bumped into something called Myler town. And this was like the coolest discovery I think I made in the series. Cause I don't think anyone <laughs> knows Myler town ever existed. Like there's mm-hmm. no records of it except in these old newspapers I was able to find. And, mm-hmm. um, we ended up then going and finding it on like the 1890 city plat. Like, Oh, there's a little town called Myler town. Um, basically where Indiana Avenue is just South of ignition park, um, mm. which kind of makes sense. Cause Indiana Avenue of what I remember being told about it, it was kind of like how Mishawaka Avenue is in Western where it was kind of like totally. a, a little mini main street. Yep. You know, with a couple theaters, a couple, you know, restaurants, a couple groceries, you know, like everything you would need to live a life, you know, day to day was available yeah. right there. So it totally makes sense. Oh, that used to be a main street for this town called Myler Town. Um, and in 1892, as South Bend was growing and expanding and pushing south, um, it bumped into it and the two both took a vote. So in South Bend, everyone voted, should we merge with Myler Town? And everyone in Myler Town took a vote. And in both cases, it was overwhelmingly, yes, let's join. Um, so that was an, I, so, and then the city passed an ordinance that annexed that area of Myler Town. Um, that one did go to the Sup- Indiana Supreme Court. Um, there was like a couple, even though it passed, like it was like 180 to like 30, the vote. Um, but I guess those 30 people were really mad because they took it all the way to the Supreme court. Um, and the Supreme court said, no, like this would happen legally. 
Um, and Myler Town, you know, was absorbed into the city. And then the third and final, which is probably the most known, um, was the annexation of River Park, which anyone who's familiar with South Bend knows River Park today is a very intact neighborhood that, that always kind of has still, even though it's been 110 years, has kept its kind of slightly different feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. Mishawaka Avenue still has kind of like, oh, this almost feels like a main street to a small town, not part of an you know, just a normal neighborhood in the city. Um, and that's why River Park has numbered streets where nowhere else in South Bend do we have that. Um, but so River Park was oh, this town. Interesting. Yeah. If you ever wonder why River Park has like 25th Street and nowhere else in the city is there, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. It's because it, those street names come from when it was its own town. Um, mm. But River Park was growing up. Um, I assume most of the people in River Park worked in either in South Bend or Mishawaka. And as River Park got to like 1500 people, it started to suffocate under its own weight because it realized roads are expensive, schools are expensive, all these things we want to provide our citizens cost a lot of money. And hey, like no one's going to move here if our school is really tiny and underfunded if they can go to South Bend or Mishawaka, which, you know, has all this uh, revenue and, and cities or and citizens. So um they started to petition to become part of the cities i think mishawaka tried and it was deemed illegal and river park got mad about that that like mishawaka jumped the gun um and like it's in the paper it's hard for me to piece together the story but i'm pretty sure like river park was gonna go to mishawaka but mishawaka like made river park mad for some reason i think it's because they like jumped the gun and they like presumed they like didn't even want river park to hold a vote so that pissed river park off and they're like okay we're gonna go to south bend um but then the south bend city council said no like a dating show yeah it really is like who's gonna take this town um but then initially the south bend common council said no because they didn't think the taxes from river park would support all the money south bend would have to put into river park Mm. to bring it up to you know south bend standards of paved roads and new school and so forth um, but eventually uh, River Park took a vote. And again, I think it was like 70 to 30 percentage wise. They they wanted to join South Bend. Um, and mm. then so in 1911 and I even in a piece, I have this little article headline um, where it's it's titled. This is like six months after the annexation. It says River Park, given city improvements, pretty suburb is seen of much public work. Alterations to school being made progress in construction of water main. Um, so right off the bat, like within a couple months of joining the much larger city of South Bend, um, River Park started having a lot of benefits of being part of this larger network, um, and the much larger resources that the city government could provide for them. Um, but in all these cases, so the three towns that we absorbed, and then also all the, just the random annexations of, of, you know, farmland that happened, which was far more prevalent than these three. Um, they were very amicable. Like I've, I read a ton of newspaper articles and I went through the South Bend Tribune and the South Bend times. And it was very rare that people were against these things. Um, they had voice of the people type stuff back then. And very, very rare that anyone even opposed it. The only instance where I found, where there was like a lot of animosity was the one with Myler town and the vote told me, okay, this was the vast majority wanted to join South bend. But like, it was just this couple, I think like people who owned a lot of land and like, were like 
the mayor or whatever um, didn't want to lose their little like enclave of authority. Um, mm. And then the other one was South Bend and Mishawaka actually considered merging at one time. Um, I was going to ask about that because it seems like you suggest that here with the the quote from from one of the Beegers. Yeah. So um, and I did this to kind of show that like it was considered a really good thing to be part of South Bend back then, yeah. um, which is going to contrast with later on as we tell the story. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, I could read this this quote here from MV Beeger, um, which like the I mean, anybody from Mishawaka listening will know like the Beeger name is a big name in Mishawaka. Uh, it says, I am in favor of annexation, principally for commercial advantage. It is a well-known fact that South Bend is known all over the United States, and in fact, all over the world, and is the best advertised city of its size in the United States. And that was uh, May 28th, 1903. Yeah, so, I mean, you can just kind of tell from what he's saying there is like, he really wanted, he was the big he was a big driver in trying to push for a merger of the two cities. Um, the, the Tribune actually ran like a series interviewing South Bend prominent people and Mishawaka prominent people um, and getting their sides. And they, it would do a for and against for both South Bend and from both sides. And like there was mm-hmm. actually a lot of people in Mishawaka who wanted it or who were at least most, a lot of them were ambivalent. They were saying, if it can be shown to me how it'd be beneficial, I'd totally for it. Or if it's shown to me and it's not beneficial, I we should just keep it. A couple, there were you know a couple of people writing in saying like, no, Mishawaka is doing fine on its own. We're growing. So what if we're not as big? And then on the South Bend side, it was there were actually a lot of um, two council members wrote into the paper who were against it because they said it would dilute downtown South Bend. They said they mm-hmm. had you know they're like we don't know of any town in the world you know they claim like in the world that doesn't have like two central business areas and they were worried that would just make both South Bend and Mishawaka worse because it would spread it out and they thought they I think they claimed like South Bend's just going to like absorb around Mishawaka anyway so let them stay um mm-hmm. you have to remember at the time of 1900 South Bend's population was 35,000 but Mishawaka's was just 5 so South Bend is seven, eight mm. times larger than South Bend and is growing exponentially faster. Um, the charts in the piece, the very first one kind of shows Mishawaka, you know, it's kind of on a slow, gradual up while South Bend is like almost a straight arrow upwards. Um, so at the, you know, that that one fell through, but I don't think it was because Mishawaka people were very adamant they did not want to be in South Bend. It was just both sides decided this doesn't really make any sense. A lot of people said, oh, there's like four miles between the two city centers. Like that's a really long way. You know, I have to remember Oh three, 1903 is way before cars became highly used <laughs> before roads. So it probably took an hour to two hours to get to Mishawaka back then. Oh my um, God. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you thought if you'd walk from downtown South Bend to downtown Mishawaka, that'd take you an hour. Right. So um, that's actually, if you think about something that's an hour away from you today, like, well, yeah, it probably makes sense that they're not the same city. Um, but then after we annexed River Park, I don't know, it probably should have been explored again after we, because then the cities really were a lot closer. Um, but I finished that kind of section where I call that the urban growth part, um, kind of explaining. So at the beginning of this, when South Bend was first coming up, like the first time South Bend shows up in the census, South Bend is like nine to 10% of the county's population. The vast majority of St. Joe County, like 90 some percent is unincorporated farmland. It's farmers. Like that's just what it was. Farmers and small, very small tradespeople, um, which mm-hmm. reflected the United States at the time where they're really small 
urban enclaves with mostly farmland. By the end of this period to 1920, this is when South Bend meets its peak um, population as a percentage of the county. And it's up to 70% of people in St. Joe County lived in South Bend in 1920. And even though it was only, it was less than 5% of the square miles of the county. So it's a very small portion of the county land wise, 70% of the people lived in it. And if you add in Mishawaka, it's like 85% of people lived in these two cities. And then the rest was just farmland. And I have a map at the very end um, showing of 1922, which kind of, if you can squint and zoom in, it shows the dates of the annexations. Um, and it's a very compact urban place. If you look at the road network beyond South Bend, it's it's just country roads, you know, really, really, really big blocks. Um, there's not any you can see there's very little residential development. You, know, you can see where South Bend is and you can see where Mishawaka is. And that's kind of it. Um, and mm-hmm. you can see a very tiny bit where Notre Dame has like six roads. Um, so that was the city. It was a, the county was a very dense urban population surrounded by it's what I call it's hinterland. Um, and this is the way cities kind of always grew back until the first time we had cities 8,000 years ago was a city, a marketplace would pop up and it would grow. Um, and it would, as it grew in population, it would expand outward and incrementally outward and incrementally upward. Um, so the buildings would get a little taller, a little better, and it would gobble up a little bit of more land on its side, kind of incrementally in every direction, unless there was a natural barrier. And the mm-hmm. farmland around it fed the city. Like back then, you can imagine most of these people in South Bend, they were eating food grown in St. Joe County and the other immediate counties like every day. Like this is before, you know, really mass, you know, food travel. And yeah, maybe some delicacies were brought in, but I'm guessing a lot of the food a South Bend resident in 1908 was food grown five miles away, 10 miles away. And he bought it at a local market and local butcher. Um, so it was a symbiotic, you know, relationship between the two, the city provided a market and the hinterlands provided, you know, food and steady source of people to, um, for it to grow. Um, and that is kind of how the first part ends where it's, you know, it's, it makes sense. I even show the population of St. Joe County that was unincorporated had basically been flat since like for like 50, 60 years, because at some point you have so many farm, like a farmer needs so much land to support himself. Right. Back then it made it be a hundred acres or 50 acres. Like if he, he couldn't have less than that and support himself and a family and, and you know, everything. So mm-hmm. eventually the County kind of capped out how many farmers there could have. And that number was around, um, let's see here. It's around like 17,000, like between 1880 and 1920, it stayed flat at 17 or 18,000. Um, even though South Bend and Mishawaka are growing really, really fast, um, because there was just no more land for farms. And that was about all that you would do out there on a farmland. Um, so that's all changed starting in 1920. Um, it's interesting, Joe, um, this whole, like, like the one picture you have from, I think it's 1866, where you show kind of like what South Bend looked like and you can see kind of there's almost a border road on each side. And then outside of that, it's clearly farmland, um, which seems very weird for South Bend now. But it's interesting because like my hometown, which is a town of about 2,500 people in Michigan, still is very much like this. Like 
there's like a definitive road almost on all four cardinal directions where if you go on the other side of it, you're in farmland. Um, so it's like just interesting to me that like in the probably very small towns or smaller towns of the United States, obviously the farming dynamic is not the same in terms of feeding that particular city, but the, the kind of dynamics of what a city looks like is still very much what it looked like then as opposed to now, which is much more of this like weird sprawling. It's hard to tell where a city starts and the city ends. Yeah. I mean, if, if South Bend say South Bend went bust and it almost did in the 1840s, it actually lost its incorporation and had to reincorporate um, because they let the town government lapse. Um, so say for whatever reason, South Bend didn't take off as this big, you know, manufacturing town it might look just like your hometown. You know, it, it would just have been that 1860 boundary and you'd have a very, you know, quaint little town. Um, of course that's not what happened, but yeah, that was kind of the thing back then. It was either you were in the city or you were not like, there was no real suburb, like there just wasn't even a concept except mm-hmm. as the thought of like a small town. Um, and it was purely because like people had to walk everywhere. Like you had to walk to your work. You had to walk to wherever you were going to get your food. You had to walk to whatever you were going to do that night. If you wanted to go to the theater, if you wanted to go to, you know, hang out at a bar, like you had to get there on foot or at least on horse, but probably not probably on foot. So it, you, it's, why would you live 10 miles outside the city? Cause you're not going to walk that every day. You couldn't. Um, that's why, you know, our first, really like premier neighborhoods that pop up like Chapin park, um, which is kind of like, you know, it's some people say it's like, Oh, it's actually kind of like the first suburb of South Bend because it was a tiny bit outside of the city, but you could still walk downtown in one minute, you know, one to five minutes. You know, if you're determined walker, you could get to your factory, you could get downtown, you know, in five to 10 minutes still. Um, or, you know, at least take a co- you know coach out there. Um, it just didn't make any sense to live out in the countryside unless you were very, very wealthy. So sometimes you would see like, I'm sure the Studebakers and stuff like they had countryside homes. Um, funny enough, Sunny Mead, you know, the neighborhood I've talked about where I live on the period that used to all be Studebaker estates where they built a couple really huge mansions out here. And this was their like country home. Yeah, oh, when JM built their first mansion, Sunnyside there, yeah like on Eddie's like kind of like Eddie Jefferson, like that was uh, considered quite country. Yeah. That, that was like the rural, you know, that was away from the factory and the smoke and like the noise of the city. Um, yeah. So, and he didn't have to go far for that. Like he went like one mile. Um, yeah. Even later on, I mean, this is like kind of into the next, but like even later on, um, like Erskine Manor is named that whole yeah. area is named Erskine Manor because Erskine, built his manor down there yeah. that was uh like quite far outside of the city at the time yeah i mean and you can kind of see so that's a good segue what changed like what did people just start doing these like what made this really good relationship break down and it's the car like yeah south bend grew on the car for 60 years so it's kind of weird for me to be trashing it as this invention but like this all happened because people Starting in the 1920s, it, massive growth, growth in the personal automobile ownership. Um, and people could start living 5, 10, 15, 20 miles from where they worked um, and where they got their groceries and everything. And so the second, like it's this actually, which is interesting to me, which is something that I didn't know. 
like even though South Bend's peak population happens in 1960, it was 1920 where it made up the most of the county percentage wise. Starting mm-hmm. in the 20s, the county starts to grow faster than the city. And it has done so for 100 years ever since. The, and, and growing way faster than Mishawaka, too. This isn't Mishawaka has basically just stabilized. It hasn't grown or hasn't shrank as a percentage of the county. It's just kept growing with. But the county outside of those two cities has just massively grown. Um, and even at a time when the city was growing really fast, the county was still growing faster from that. Um, and it was basically because they people had cars, especially after World War Two. It just exploded um, in 1940. The population outside of South Bend and Mishawaka was 32,000 in just two decades. It jumped to 72,000. So they gained 40,000. It gained 40,000 people outside wow. of the cities in two decades. And that was probably actually like a decade and a half, because I doubt much of that was during World War Two It was probably all you know, post-1945, while the city grew by 30,000 people in that same time. So even though the city's growing really fast, it's not even growing as fast as its suburbs, as its hinterland. Um, I have a picture of Clay Township and um, what this, what did this development look like? So all these photos, all the the satellite photo is houses that were built between like 40 and 1940, 1950. And you can see the difference of how it's really dense. Like it's well, it would look kind of like a city neighborhood and it probably does to people who live there. You know, the houses are pretty close to the street. Um, It's in a grid pattern. So we're not to the point where we're doing weird cul-de-sacs and loopity roads. Um, (laughs) But there's no sidewalk. There's no streetlights. There's no fire hydrants. Um, It's bare bones necessity. All these houses were probably built on a well or septic, even though they're close Mm. together, which is an environmental disaster. Um, it was, and why did this happen? Like, so why didn't South Bend just annex the land that all these people were living in and driving into the city? Like when this started happening, um, it was mostly because the people who started to move out there and the developers who, you know, this was all done. Like, it wasn't like some random person would go out and like, just start a tiny little house. Like a developer would come with like, and had like control of like 40 acres would plat it draw where all the lots would go um and then sell those individual lots or be the builder too and build the houses and sell the houses mm-hmm. so why didn't that developer want to annex into the city like we they had always done back to the 1830s developers always wanted to be in the city well starting in the 1920s they realized it's a lot cheaper for me as a developer i can make a lot more profit if i don't do that Um, and I list some reasons why it ended up cheaper. Um, but for one, like I just said, they didn't have to, the County did not make them, the County government did not make them put in sidewalks, didn't make them put in streetlights or fire hydrants or, um, sewer and water systems. It was all done on well and septic. So it was really cheap for developer, um, to do this this way. And then you can say, well, why didn't after they built it, why didn't those residents want to become part of the city? Well, because it was cheaper for them, too, because starting at this time, you know, we have to remember the tax structure was built in a way where South Bend had all these things, but had to pay for them. Like it it paved its roads. It provided police and fire protection. It provided libraries, um, all the parks, all these things we expect a city to do for you. Um, and it had all these nonprofits in the city that did these things for you. 
that costs money. So back then, the city tax rate was two to three times larger than the county tax rate because the county wouldn't do those things for you. The county's not providing you fire protection. The county's not providing you any of these things. Um, so as a resident of one of these new homes, it made sense for them that they didn't want to annex because they still got all the benefits of living right next to South Bend. They still probably worked in the city, at least, or Mishawaka. Whenever I say South Bend in this piece, you can probably slide in the word and Mishawaka. Um, and it would mm-hmm. be true. Um, it was two to three times cheaper property taxes and they could just drive into the city still. You can, that's where I still, where I work. That's still where I shop. That's still where I do all these things, but I come home and I'm not in the city. And so my taxes are three times cheaper. That's a powerful incentive that once that incentive took place and once that idea took place of, Oh, I'm, I'm part of the County. I'm not part of the city. It was fought for. Um, And I really think if we want to understand why South Bend declined post-1960, the 40s and 50s are crucial to understanding this. Because even though the city was still growing at the time, it was largely doing so because it was filling in the land, the extra land it had. Stuff like Edison Park, which we've talked before, it, it annexed that earlier and it was just filling out these gaps. Once it started hitting these boundaries of, of new developments, the county government let these new developments happen. It, the count, and that's something that we need to talk about because it, the county could have said, no, if you want to be, build a new house on the city, in the county, it has to be half an acre. You have to like own half mm-hmm. an acre, um, which I think is I think the requirement today is a quarter of an acre. Um, so they've done this now. Like we've kind of established now, like you have to have quite a bit of land. I could be wrong about that, but. This, they just still have they have more rural um, rules, but like like this picture shows, those are really small lots. Like these are city lots almost, but they're just not in the city. And the county let this happen, and the city for whatever reason couldn't change that dynamic. So this wasn't this idea was entrenched because it was much 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 more difficult for the city to annex land that was already developed and people were already living on it, as opposed to farmland that they annexed and then was developed. Like there's a that was the difference. Um, and in the 40s and 50s, groups in the unincorporated areas start to pop up. Um, one was called Hoosier Suburbia, which was started in Center Township <laughs> down on the south side. Um, and it was the whole goal was to stop the city from annexing them, mostly for money. Um, and it became this statewide organization all across Indiana <laughs> of bound together county unincorporated residents who fought their cities. Um, and I found one instance where they fought annexation in Clay Township. And it was it's up there where um, Tarkington, Middle, I think actually is Tarkington School. Like that's the land and like some of the houses around there that they were talking about. This developer yeah. wanted to develop, wanted to to get annexed. Um, and this group, even though no one lived there, it was an empty field. All the neighbors and all of Clay Township came out to oppose this annexation and they didn't even live there purely because they thought it was encroaching on them and they were afraid that, Oh, this means the city's going to like envelop us. And it's like, you didn't even live there and they were against it. They were against any type of expansion. They fought it everywhere. And this happened, starts happening in the forties and fifties, not later, which I didn't know until looking into this. Um, So they were fighting and they didn't even live in these areas. It was just blank fields. So the city really had a hard time. The South side, for whatever reason, it was easier for the city. It did, annex quite a bit of center township during this time but again Mm -hmm. it was 
it was it was vacant fields that for whatever reason the developer really wanted city water city or whatever the developer was going to pay the extra money to put in the sidewalks and stuff um but even then um there's parts of center township um God, I can't think of the neighborhood, but there's a neighborhood right next to a city neighborhood that I show at the very bottom where on one side, it's the County on one side's the city. They're basically the same neighborhood, but the difference is one, <laughs> one developer wanted to be in the city and one didn't. Um, and they, they took South Bend to court. Like they fought tooth and nail and the city just for whatever reason, couldn't get it done. I could never quite figure that out. Why other cities have been able to figure it out. Why didn't South Bend? It might have just been our, it was too expensive to fight these court cases um, because they fought it on the grounds that the city, they were already getting services from the county that were adequate, um, which you can think about what you want. But this is a very crucial prime time in why this happened right. because it's, right. it's setting up for the decline later. Right. Yeah, it's easy to make the argument that you're getting all the services you need from the county when you're, you know, uh, stones throw from the city. <laughs> yeah, and and interesting enough, so like this is when, so like this is when Clay fought, like Clay Township today has its own fire department, and yeah. so does Harris Township. Like they they set these things up because they didn't, they just didn't have fire protection like in 1900. Like that was something, you know, it was all farmland, and it was like, well, farmers, you know, we just we we don't have that money, we're not going to do it. You know, it's just not something farmers did in 1900. Like if your barn burned down, like that sucks. Um, but when they started to get like city level densities, it was like, oh, we need a fire department. And then the city tried to come annex us like we have a fire department, like we'll annex you and provide that service. Well, one of the ways they got they got to fight the annexation was they just made their own fire department then off the township mm -hmm. government. Um, and that's and then they went to the court and said, look, we don't need that city service, even though like. I'm not sure at the time in 1940, their, their fire department was that, and that good. Like I'm sure it is now. Mm -hmm. um, but like, so they, they ended up piecemealing all these separate services from either the County government or their own township, because it was cheaper for them to do it that way than just admitting that they are part of the city of South Bend, because for all intents and purposes, they are South Bend, you know, right. especially back then. Now you can make more arguments, but like back then it was like, you know they were working in South Bend. You know they were they're like, <laughs> and yeah. funny and funny enough, in 1962, the school corporation fused with Clay Township, so they accepted mm. South Bend schools. Um, the state passed a law saying back then townships controlled the schools um, unless you were an incorporated city, you could have your own school. And then the state passed a law saying we need to consolidate some of this, like there are too many, way too many schools. You have to have a minimum like student population in order to keep your school. So the, so the city of South Bend school district and like clay township, um, center German, like all these township schools merged into one. And like, there was some grumbling and it was a big issue, but like they accepted South Bend schools. So it wasn't that they didn't accept that they were part of the South Bend community. Um, they just didn't want to pay the taxes. And the funny thing to me, as they like build out these kind of piecemeal services um, to like in an effort to not annex, be annexed into the city, they are uh, slowly building a city. Yeah, they, they... Uh, that will like if it's played out. I mean, it, it, like the, the example is to look at like Carmel, right? Like 
people moved that was a suburb of Indianapolis, right? Uh, at this point, it is a proper city with uh, proper taxes for all of the like kind of in their case, outrageous services that the city provides. Well, um, they're the wealthiest town in America or like the top. Yeah, but <laughs> you get to a similar end state uh, if you go down this road. Yeah, and that's kind of what the township governments be- have become slightly and the county government, probably for reasons of their own selfishness, the county government's like, yeah, don't be part of the city. We'll start providing these services for you <laughs> so that we're more important and that we can keep, you know, it's, there's a reason for us to have our jobs. Um, right. Like the county provides leaf pickup infamously. Kind of. They do a very bad job. Yeah. That's not <laughs> like everyone agrees with that. That's not controversial. Like it's a really bad system. <laughs> but like why if you live in the county, like isn't the whole point of living in the county like you're in a rural set? Like, you know, like if you need leaf pickup, you probably live in a city. Like, yeah, that's just a fact. So like maybe <laughs> yeah, the county you shouldn't burn your leaves. You live in a city. Yeah. Like that's so it, you're exactly right. So at this time is when that culture is coming up. Um, and it, it's kind of really sad, like reading all these reports, especially of these like 1940s and fifties, because later on when like the war we talk about actually happens like it's very clear like south bend's poor south bend's crime ridden like they have all these other reasons um and they 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 want to hide from the fact that it's about money um but in the 50s it's like purely like we already get everything from you but we don't want to pay you like that they they, there's quotes of like we we have everything we want and so what if like my like fire truck would come 20 minutes later like i pay three times less in taxes and like i'm not part of south bend um and so this is i think crucial to understanding the dynamic of st joe county and why south bend lost population starting in Mm -hmm. 1960 and why the rest of the county didn't um so that was kind of the second period of 1920 to 1960 where both the city is still growing it's still growing pretty quickly too and the county unincorporated area is growing and it's growing even faster than the city so they're both growing but one's growing way faster even though the city still has way more people because it started from a much higher standpoint 1920 Mm -hmm. that's Um, interesting i just i just took the the data from some of those charts and threw it in a google sheet and if you plot the percentage population in the county outside of south bend versus the year like there's a it's a very clear like u-shape basically that turns from a steeply declining thing into into back going up again almost exactly in like the year 1940 um which is like to your point joe feels like the the untold story here everybody talks about and we've talked about this in the past podcast like everybody talks about like the decline in population of south bend but you there's one thing i've learned about this issue from this series is like you cannot talk about south bend and population if you don't talk about the county yeah and it seems like this is like probably the more interesting headline not as like south bend loses population since 1960 but this like complete reversal of the trend that had been going on since 1860 up until 1940 was completely like more and people becoming part of the city 
And then that completely shifted. And now it's literally and still going the opposite way, which is more people are not living in the city. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what the 2020 census is, but my hunch is that trend will continue where South Bend continues to be a smaller and smaller percentage, even if South Bend grows, which there are the estimates say we should grow, but we don't really know until the official census come out. Um, We think we might grow this year or this decade. Um, There's signs of it and we have some data to back it up, Um, but the county's still growing faster. Um, So that trend will continue. Um, And it's, it's even more interesting to me because like Mishawaka, we kind of think of Mishawaka as like a kind of a success story for city. Like it was able to weather a lot of the things South Bend had, um, but it has just kept even like its share of population in the county is flat for the past like hundred years. So it, all it's doing is just keeping up. Like the county's still growing so much faster than even Mishawaka. And this gets into this urban suburban conflict um, starting in 1960 when South Bend's half century of decline starts happening. The Um, war. (laughs) Yeah. Like it, (laughs) it gets heated up um, because, and it's, it's more heated in this time period, especially when you get into the 1990s, because for the previous 40 years, South Bend was still growing. So like, yeah, it's fine that like some people are like, you know, out in the County and they're developing to urban urban standards or um urban densities but like south bend's still growing so there's no problem like no one ever th- no one in the 1920s which was the, the year south bend had its most largest increase of just people would have said there was a problem going on um you know the 40s and 50s were still growing that starts to change in the 60s and if you want to know why listen to the last five podcasts <laughs> like um <laughs> the, all those things start to happen declining population size or declining household size, declining in in industry, Um, you know, a lot of things happened. But the biggest thing that happened is the city of South Bend on the ground continued to grow. Our imaginary lines that what we call the city of South Bend could no longer keep up because of political opposition. Like that's the story in my mind is that the county and the immediate areas around South Bend, where if you're just driving around in a car, you would never know you left the city limits. And now you're in something else. That's not South Bend. Mm -hmm. Um, That physical dimension, like if an alien came down and what you wanted to tell the alien, like, where's the city start and end that city's kept growing. But the imaginary line that says where you're in South Bend and where you're not stopped adapting with that. Um, you don't even need an alien. Like I've had people who are non-alien, yeah, <laughs> not not from here, be very confused by some of this. Yeah. Um, and I I want to take a moment too about like why is this important? And we've talked about the taxes a bit, like, and I, I explained this in this part of the the section, and and this kind of gets to some Dustin. You always kind of bring us back to this, like, well, why does it matter in the end that we lost population? Um, and I lay out a form of things I call subsidies that city residents pay. So city residents pay for these things that everyone benefits from, even if you're not a city resident. And sometimes they're direct subsidies. So like the following things I mentioned, um, and there's probably more of this, but these are the ones I thought of um, writing the piece. These are things the city of South Bend, so the city taxpayers paid for, like we contributed money to. Um, Four Winds Field at at the time, Kovaleski Stadium in the 1980s. The Morris Performing Arts Center, which the city um, keeps up, 
the parks and trails system of South Bend, including amenities like the East Race and Howard Park, the Century Center, Potawatomi Zoo, and the South Bend International Airport. Um, on top of that, you can add fire and police service for the jobs that are here. So like we've talked about last time, about half the jobs in the county are still here. Those jobs can only exist because they have fire, police, all those services. City residents pay for that and city businesses pay for that. So those are the ones we've directly paid for. But there's also a lot of things we subsidize indirectly because these are nonprofits. So the, these institutions that I'm about to talk about, they're nonprofits. So the land that they sit on don't pay property taxes as opposed to a, like a business or a house. But there's still roads that go to them. They go all the way around them. That's still land that should be being, if it was in a private hands, it would be being taxed and revenue would be built off it. It's still getting police and fire protection. Um, but there's no money going into the coffers to pay for those things. So indirectly South Bend residents pay for them. Um, so Indiana university of South Bend Memorial hospital, South Bend clinic, um, all the County facilities that are in the city. So the courthouse, the jail, the County city building. Um, but then you have nonprofits like the South Bend farmer's market and the public libraries that are primarily in South Bend. Um, the center for the homeless, which is a nonprofit and is a, it demands city services because the homeless residents, when you become homeless in St. Joe County, you go to South Bend because that's where there are services. So city residents pay for all of that or indirectly contribute to those things existing. Um, it's very good that we have Memorial Hospital, right? Even if you live out in the county, if you get hurt, you go to either Memorial or St. Joe Hospital. And up until 2012, both the major hospitals were in South Bend. Now one's in Mishawaka. But again, like I said, if when I'm saying South Bend here, you can slot in Mishawaka because Mishawaka provides a lot of things like this as well. Um, well, and if you're hurt bad enough anywhere in the county, you're coming to Memorial. Yeah, Memorial is a higher. Like there are things. Yeah. Yeah, and Memorial is like the trauma hospital. There are things that Memorial provides that are like more expensive and sure, like, South, more yeah. labor intensive than uh, St. Joe. Yeah, and, and and that's that's fine. I'm, in no way am I saying like South Bend shouldn't have these things, but South Bend residents pay for them somehow like South Bend clinic is if, if you need to go get your blood drawn, your chances are you're probably going to interact with South Bend clinic, which is this massive facility that doesn't pay taxes. Like that's just their, their employees pay income taxes. So that's good. And it's great that we have these jobs and it's really good that these city services are by the most people. Um, but those call come with a cost and today only city residents pay it. And that's why this is really important when we talk about decline and when we talk about why the war in my mind is so blatantly like there's something wrong and there's, there's just something really broken with the system. Like think about the airport. You might never fly out of a plane in South Bend, right? Like you as a person like might drive to Indy or Chicago to go fly or you just never travel that way. And that's fine. But the airport is a really good there's a it's a really good benefit to your life that the airport is here simply because it makes this region better. We have more jobs because we have an airport. If we just didn't have an airport, how many employers do you think would stay here? Like, do you think Barnes and Thorberg would stay here? Do you think Crow and Prescaney? And do you think doctors would want to live in a place where they couldn't even get on a plane? Like 
there are so many benefits. You couldn't, we couldn't get packages delivered here super fast um, that are overnighted, you know, on planes. There's so many benefits to a community of our size, having a, a pretty robust airport. And that is all in the city and it's ringed by roads. And the city took the money and the effort to annex all that land out there to get it set up. We contributed direct money into the municipal South Bend airport when it was that for that to exist. Like that is a benefit only South Bend residents have ever really paid for. But everybody in not even St. Joe County, everybody in the region benefits from that airport. And that's just one example. Um and so I, I use the word exploitation because like that's the only word that I think makes sense in this situation where you have one entity paying for these things that everybody enjoys. Like what else would you call that? Um, yeah. And starting in the Especially, 1960s, um, sorry, starting the 1960s, the South Bend became poorer than the average air average county resident. So you're having mm-hmm. the poorest people pay for most of the stuff. Like what else do you call that besides exploitation? I don't know. Like someone explained to me how it's not and I'll listen, but I, no one's been able to tell me yet. Well, and I think that like the stuff that you get into right after this, like kind of further defends this use of exploitation. um, When you see that this was not, um, we didn't kind of idly drift into this. This was a very intentional effort. um, No, it's not this part that, this part that you talk about the war, um, like this was a very kind of explicitly uh, litigated in the South Bend Tribune, right? Like, yeah, and it, and in court cases and in state legislature. Slow to kind of get us to the '90s. So starting in 1960, like I said, go listen to other podcasts about the decline. Um, but the city knew it had to do something. The city knew this was a problem. And interestingly enough, under mayor Lloyd Allen, who we've talked about a couple of times now, who was the last Republican mayor who identified um, in a previous piece, why decline is so bad. He kept, he pointed this directly out saying the wealthiest in our area are moving out to the County, but they still rely on city services. And it's up to the poorest people left to pay for all those services. And it's the services Mm. they need. So he started, he kind of tried to do it before Kernan, Mayor Kernan. He tried a lot of big annexations in the very late 1960s and 19, early 1970s because he saw what was happening and that this was bad for everybody long term. And people Shout out to Lloyd Allen. Yeah, like I, I have a lot of respect for the guy after reading so much about him. Like he saw what was happening. There's, you know, I didn't want the piece to be 20,000 words, but I found articles of him saying like, this has to be fixed. Like this is a bad system that we've developed in this County. Mm. Um, and he fought with County commissioners about it, but all his annexation efforts. And again, like we did annex some, like the city kept growing small here, small there, but the vast majority um, of people didn't want to annex into the County or into the city where it made sense. And they went to court. So there were a lot of, especially in Clay Township, it keeps coming back to Clay Township when you search annexations, Clay and German and a little bit of center township. Um, They are, they took South Bend to court. They claimed in the sixties and seventies, no, like we already had services that were adequate. Thank you very much. Um, And I think part of the reason South Bend lost was because they, the County helped them by providing a lot of these services um, and these people were wealthy on average, 
so they could litigate these things where the city, like the city, especially if you remember what's happening in the 60s and 70s, Studebaker is going bust. A lot of these giant manufacturing companies are going under. Drewries is closing. That's a lot of tax revenue that was leaving the city. All those property taxes, those factories paid for started to dwindle up. Like the city wasn't rolling in dough and court cases are really expensive. Like if you only have seven Mm -hmm. to 10 attorneys that work for your city and they're doing normal city things, if you want to fight this conflict in court, you have to hire people to do that for you that can get really expensive and it's really unpopular to the people you're fighting who for all intents and purposes are city leaders like a lot of these people that lived in these areas are doctors are lawyers (laughs) who like are gonna like who write you campaign checks you know and and are who you see at conventions and at dinner and they're gonna say why are you trying to annex you know why are you fighting with us so like Basically, after Lloyd Allen tried, the city gave up in the early 70s. Um, and they just tried, they only did volunteer annexations. And in the 80s, that almost was nothing. Like, there's a quote um, in the very, in like 1991, of same saying, like, South Bend hasn't grown in 10 years. Like, it's it just, we stopped trying because it was just not, mm. they, they kept failing and they didn't have the money. Um, so by 1990, um, Mayor Kernan is in office. Um, and he knows this is a problem and every, everyone knows this is a problem. Like it's not hard to see. So he, he actually, he pushes for what was called a mayor's forum on housing. Cause he wanted to provide city residents. He wanted to make sure that middle income residents could live in South Bend, um, middle income and working class could buy, you know, at the time, a lot of our neighborhoods were going downhill rent, you know, it was becoming, you know, everything we've talked about, was happening mm-hmm. um the disinvestment in the city and so forth um so he wanted to to make a forum on like how can south Bend start providing the housing for middle income people and working class people who can afford you know at that time a 40 to fifty thousand hour house well one of the recommendations that came out of that and the one that was the most big in terms of what he wanted to do with it was the city needs to annex a ton because we need to annex a lot of this vacant land to turn that into housing and we also mm-hmm. need to annex the current housing that's already there so that they start paying their fair share for the resources or for the, you know, benefits that they get that we were just talking about. And so then he, to even double down on it, he, he hires a a local company to do an annexation report. Um, and it comes out with this proposal and this is, this is kind of the first shot in the war. So like we have this situation where the city's declining, but it still has to provide all these services. Um, and you have this growing suburb, basically growing suburbs that are against it. The first shot is the city comes out with this like 80 page report, which is online on the city website. And you can, and I recommend anyone who's really interested to read it, especially the first like 15 pages, give a very good history of this. Um, They come out with a report that says South Bend should annex everything that they can um, (laughs) double the size of the city. Um, and double the population of the city and it should be it we should basically do what fort wayne did is is kind of what the report says and we've talked about fort wayne before like that will solve a lot of problems for south and they thought um they they thought this was the solution they even said annex notre dame like annex everything that's close to south bend even they even like proposed um jumping over like the hickory logan boundary between south Bend and mishawaka up in clay township and there's there's this map um that that the tribune put together that indicates all the areas that the annexation report targeted and if you look at it 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 would double the size of the city like it was huge areas 
and that you can even see in the top right where it jumps over the line and like just gobble up everything you can um, because they saw the consequences of what that happens if they didn't do that. Um, so that was the first shot was like Southman came out with this really controversial report saying like, hey, Southman needs you to start paying your fair share. We need this land to grow um, all these things. One more point too, I would like to add before getting into like what happens after that first shot is just none of this, um, all the areas that South Bend was considering annexing were part of South Bend School Corp. Um, and I think some people don't get that and they think, oh, like schools are, were a lot of the reason, like all these areas were already in South Bend School Corporation. So they already associated themselves with South Bend. Like their kids went to South Bend schools. Like mm-hmm. that's pretty indicative of the fact that they thought they were part of the South Bend community, right? Um, so what happens after this? Well, the first proposal is there were a couple of little islands in South Bend that like it was land that South Bend it was annexed all the way around it. So they were like islands in the city. They said that's low hanging fruit, annex those. And we did, and that was like the first successful thing that came out of it. Before South Bend got to the next step, where we even started to attempt to annex some of these larger areas that are on the map um and, and talk to property like before we even got to the stage where you would start the legal process um the residents of these suburbs pushed their state representatives um especially this the the area of granger um to change state law so that south bend couldn't annex anything anymore um so that is kind of like the framing this that's what the war was fought over was this bill so in early 1993 um, Michael A. Dvorak, um, who was a, the state representative for Granger, basically area, pushed a bill that at first he tried to do it for the whole state. Um, and he put in these really hard, these things that basically made it impossible for a city to annex land unless the owner was 100% agreement. Um, and, and, and then put even more stringent stuff on top of that. Well, the state law house like, balked at it and it didn't really go anywhere because they weren't going to screw their cities over right so the bill got changed <laughs> to yeah if you want to screw the city that's next to you over that's cool <laughs> but not that's 100 <laughs> what happened um so they go back um dvorak goes back and he changes the bill to say okay these new annexation really hard annexation rules that basically make involuntary annexation impossible they only apply to cities that are in counties with a population of 200 to 300,000. And at the time, Sancho County was the only county in the state that had a population in between 200 and 300,000 people. So Mishawaka got put into this too then. Um, And this really was protection against Mishawaka. Because again, like I said, whenever in in this article, in this podcast, I'm saying South Bend, you can think and Mishawaka because Mishawaka was going on a lot of annexation sprees too, that were getting pushed back, especially up in Granger. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is very much um, a a county versus city stuff. This was not really, the South Bend stuff was the most heated, um, but this was really against Mishawaka too. And I even have a quote by Mayor Buter, um, who was the mayor of Mishawaka at the time, who was saying how awful this idea was. And this wasn't even a Republican-Democrat thing, because Dvorak was a Democrat, and South Bend you know, is a heavily Democratic city. 
But Buter was a Republican mayor and the senator who pushed it through this the United the Indiana Senate after Dvorak got it through the House was a Republican. So it was not as easy just to say, oh, this is Republicans and Democrats. Like it was literally the suburbs versus the two primary cities. Um, and so that's what this war was fought over. And for about six months, this is the only thing in the Tribune. Like if you go to any random day from like January to June of 1993, chances are there's at least one article or one voice of the people from people who wrote in and had their opinions on um, annexation. And because and, of that outcome now, every day you go there and it's about leaf pickup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um <laughs> And I quote a lot of the people in this because I thought like instead of me telling you what they said, like, let's literally just I'm going to they wrote it down. So I'm going to write it. I'm going to just literally copy it over. Um, So I'm going to read two from the people who were against annexation, who I think like really sum it up. Um, And the first is uh, someone named Peggy Rossow, who wrote in in December of 1992. And she said, I simply cannot afford South Bend's grandiose schemes. Perhaps if South Bend were better managed, the citizens would not feel compelled to flee. So like I said, in the 40s and 50s, it was very much like a taxes and like, oh, we want to live in the countryside type argument. But by 1990, after 30 years of the city declining and all those things, it's very much become like a South Bend is a bad place. That's why people want to leave it. Like, why would I want to be a part of South Bend? Um, And that's echoed by the second uh, person named Richard J. Sheehan, um, who wrote into the Tribune in April of 1993. He said, for me, the economic issue is secondary. Sure, township residents do not relish the prospect of paying higher taxes that would be associated with annexation. The basis for rejecting annexation, however, is much more fundamental We have made a choice concerning how we want to live and what type of government we want. That choice is to live in a more rural setting. That choice was county government and county services. That choice was not to live in South Bend. Um, So he's saying there, it's not taxes anymore. Like it's beyond taxes. Like, yeah, I don't want to pay more taxes, but I really, really just don't like South Bend, which is such it's silly to me because like he's saying, Oh, we chose this type of government. We chose this. You chose a house that is probably five minutes from the city limits. And the only difference is you don't vote for the mayor and city council. That's it. Like you want to talk about type of government, like city (laughs) residents vote for County stuff too. We, I vote in County elections. All, I vote in township elections because there's still a Portage township, even though it's almost all South Bend, that still does a couple things. And they want to talk about like a more rural setting. The vast majority of this is, like I said, subdivisions. There are suburbs that basically look like city, like densities, maybe a tiny bit more rural looking. Like that wasn't a choice, at least initially. Like that was just an outcome of an, of an economic like center point that became this animosity. And I guarantee that Richard G. Sheehan goes into South Bend almost every day of his life. He definitely probably shops there because this, I remember his address, he was in German township. So anything close to him would have been South, any service, anything would have been the city of South Bend. Hmm. And he hates South Bend. Like you can, you can read it. That choice was not to live in South Bend. And what's 
funny is it's not even like South Bend was forcing them to move. Like when you read these comments, it's almost like, well, was South Bend like saying like, we're going to bulldoze your home and you have to come live like, you know, in the inner city. No, like your house would stay exactly the same. The imaginary lines would change. And that was just, they hated it. They absolutely hated it. And it wasn't especially funny when you're living so close to that imaginary line that is South Bend to say, like, I've made this very conscious choice to not live in the culture that is South Bend. Um, Yeah, it's not even like this is Walkerton or like 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, like this isn't like that would make sense. Like if you lived out on like 25 acres of land and like, you know out in the woods basically and you said like i i'm 40 minutes from south bend like that's far enough like i go Mm -hmm. in once a week to do shopping and then i stay out here like that makes total sense to me the city has no like has no role in being like annexing that but all these areas were areas that were very much like just on the edge of south bend in neighborhoods that looked very much like city neighborhoods Mm -hmm. um so that's the in support or I'm sorry, in it and against annexation um, and Dvorak side, because he was the author of the bill. Um, he basically said in all these pieces, um, well, like it should be people's choice. He's like, I'm fine if the city wants to annex, but like the people, sh- you shouldn't be forced into anything. It should all be like democracy. Like that was his thing. It, it should be people's choice. And like, it got really petty. Like mayor Kernan came out and said like, we should disannex Dvorak's law office. Um, which was in downtown South Bend. <laughs> and so that like we wouldn't provide city services to your your law office. So like it, it got really political and petty. Um and I don't I get- love that. That is amazing. Like it like it and then like a bunch of people wrote in, like, that's so mean, Kernan. Why would you like say that? And I, I'm assuming Kernan was probably thinking, like, well, this guy doesn't want to be part of South Bend, but he works here. Um so like, yeah, that was that was like he, how petty it he got. Makes all his money here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, so that's like kind of like the the level, and like that's why it was so. This is such like a almost a family fight because all these people who live in these areas they're intrinsically part of South Bend. Totally, you know, they're 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 people you see every day. Like you would never. It's not like it's just. It's like a weird like kids fighting over the chores. You know. Yeah, that's exactly. Hey. I mean, like, yeah, we all live in this house. You can weasel your way into, like, not doing the dishes, but. Um, and then so then the people who wrote into the paper, um, I, I, I quote them as well. Um, and they're like a little more interesting, I think, because it's they all take like different avenues. Um, so I'll read two again. This was actually the first is from a council member who uh, was for the fifth district, which for you, you know, is the Republican district of South Bend. Um, it's it's the suburbs on the south side that we actually did annex. Um, and he was the he was tell us his name. Tell us his name. Council member Linus Lee (laughs) Slavinskas. Yeah, and so he says this. I just wanted you to read it, Slavinskas. Um, and he was the so he was too removed. He was a council member for a long time. Um, and he was the Republican council member for the fifth district. Um, and that's why this is really wasn't a political. Republican versus Democrat thing because he says annexations are one of the few means open to the city to ensure that residents who take advantage of its services and facilities help pay for them. There are a lot of people who want to be a part of South Bend, but who don't who do not want to live here. Um, and like he he's hitting it on the head. And again, this is a guy who he's living that same suburban lifestyle 
that the previous person I quoted is living. He lived in a, I'm sure in a subdivision on a cul-de-sac. That's a lot of what's on the fifth in the fifth district, but he just lived in the imaginary lines as opposed to out of them. Um, and the second you live in the city, you get why it's, it's to be this way. So I, I quoted him. And then also this guy who's like one of my favorite characters I found in this whole thing. His name is Frank X Steggert, who we talked about a little bit last time. Um, but he was anybody with the middle, middle initial X X, that they, Mm -hmm. that they use publicly is pretty good. Yeah. He was a professor at IUSB about urban affairs. And I think he was retired by this point. I think he retired like 91. I, cause I, I searched his name in the Tribune and like found all the stuff he wrote. And he was a very frequent writer to the South Bend Tribune. Um, <laughs> and they gave him like as much space. It seemed like, as he wrote, like it wasn't just tiny little blurbs. Um, but he was very much like the city advocate in this war. So he wrote a lot. This one is from March 29th of 93, right at the heat of this debate on the state law. Um, and he says, since the argument that, quote, we are all part of one county, unquote, will never fly because um, people won't accept it. Uh, the immediate city problem is survival. This may well involve the recognition that city and suburbs are like separate nations. Since American cities are unwalled and no tariffs are in place, foreigners, and he put in parentheses, suburbanites, are free to enter and to exploit city res- resources. Unlike Jericho, the world's first city, and the formerly divided Berlin, South Bend and Mishawaka cannot erect physical walls. They could, however, view our jobs and amenities as export items to be paid for by foreign citizens. Greater user fees for outsiders, an employee surtax for out-of-city residents, higher fares and fees for inbound commuters, and perhaps even automated toll gates for out-of-city non-tourist entrance are all wonderful things to contemplate. (laughs) And he was the one who... Didn't we discuss uh, tolls coming into the city at one point? This was him. um, As I was talking about, (laughs) he used the phrase city for this article. The the piece that I quoted from was called cities must plan for county war. And that's Mm. where we took the people at the time were calling this a war. So obviously I think some of this is tongue in cheek, what he's saying. But you can feel like his exasperation for this, like, oh, we can't erect walls. So, like, what else can we do? <laughs> it, yeah, it definitely feels like it feels like what you would expect if you were playing a board game that included like land acquisition, like somewhat like the one of the brothers at some point during the family board game, like start saying stuff like this, you know, like. Yeah, it's it's right. Like a joke. Well, and it seems like a little bit of like uh, shaming of people who are fighting annexation to say like, well, I guess if yeah, if you guys won't do that, man, we're gonna have to start like building toll gates and <laughs> that's exactly sorts of things. He's turning the argument on its head in a very rhetorical, flamboyant way. Um, he because he, he starts saying, since the argument that quote we are all part of one county will never fly. Well, that's because suburbanites say that. Like mm-hmm. suburbanites say, like South Bend has been saying, we're all part of one county. We're all part of one region. Like, let's all be part of one city government so that it's all fair and we can plan together and we can make sure that growth is spread, you know, evenly and there's actual thought behind growth. Um, but they've said that doesn't like I just read the pieces like they have fought that. So he's saying, well, if you're going to fight it, like in a sense, you are not part of South Bend. So we should treat you like you are not part of South Bend. Um mm-hmm. 
And it's interesting to me that he says, like, we need to have toll gates for out of city non tourist entrance. So he's like, you can come here if you're a tourist, but if you work here and like just want to shop here, then we'll get you. Uh, like, if you know, if you're coming right. for a Notre Dame game from South Carolina, yes, please come spend a bunch of money for like money here. But like the people who live five minutes away who want to be foreigners, like that's where it's different. Right. Um, right. And so I, I found like he was such a good character uh, in this whole thing. Um, but the sides were that drawn apart. Um, and the last one I'll, I'll touch on a little bit was, is um, someone wrote in and he was kind of in support of annexation, but he thought more of the thing was whole just ridiculous because like he realized like on the ground, we're all really one city. Like, why is there, why does it have to be this big fight? And he says, I've, uh, this is a Jason T. Zazwiski, Zazwiski um, from April of 95. So this is a little after the bill. But he says, I have entertained the thought of what would happen if the cities in St. Joseph County threw away their incorporation papers and became unincorporated entities. Now, that would be worth talking about. So what he's saying is like, well, if this they don't want to incorporate, everybody's just unincorporate. And then we're all at the county level and we're all one entity again, <laughs> which like <laughs> I've had not I've had somewhat non-serious serious conversations with coworkers at work saying like you know that I, who knows maybe that would work like that'd be it'd be all equal again um and like the mayors fought this so like those were kind of the arguments going on the mayor of mishawaka and the mayor of south bend tried to fight this with everything they could um once dvorak changed it to just affect st joe county the house voted for it 51 to 49 so this was even you know even with that change, it was very hotly, t- you know, it passed by one vote. Um, and interesting enough, this also affects Walkerton and Osceola and like new Carlisle, all these tiny little towns, because now they have a harder time annexing too. So they came out against it. Cause they said, Hey, like you're mad at South Bend and Mishawaka. Don't like, don't <laughs> tie us in. But so it was just interesting to me, like how quickly like it devolved where like you have this, where people who are all part of the same County are fighting this war against each other about imaginary lines. Right. And, and because they're very important lines Um, and South Bend. So the law passes, there's more like background petty politics, like people claim Dvorak made a deal with the governor to support one of the governor's bills so that the governor would sign this bill, um, which Dvorak um, to his credit said that there was no backroom deal. Um, so it passed and then South Bend and Mish Walker were faced with these like harder penalties. So then they sued um, and the Supreme court overturned the law. I think the law is still on the books um but they said it basically like it can't be defended and then by the end of 99 um the state actually adapted not quite the same rules they're a little easier than the south bend specific rules um, but they made it harder to annex as well but and you can kind of see because the suburbs kept gaining power everywhere in indiana like we talked about carmel um that it kind of became a mute point because we all had little stricter annexation rules um and it, it essentially became non-existent after this that South Bend has ever annexed anything unless it was completely voluntary and like part of a, a development. Um, and what we've seen since this war happened that, that South Bend loses, um, it's just gotten worse and worse where the county is growing. South Bend, like we talked about, went through the worst decade in its history um, when it comes to population 
from 2000 2010 while the county was still growing during that time frame um so if you want to understand how south bend lost 50,000 people part of it is simply the city kept growing but what we call south bend didn't grow with it hmm. you know this is probably a really <clears throat> bad analogy but it kind of reminds me of like on the internet trying to get around paywalls <laughs> anything about like new york times or wall street journal or something like trying to basically do both like trying to have full access to something but find a way to not pay for it yeah and it it's interesting to me like you're exactly right like this started as something from everything i can find in the research i did and talking to people like this all started in the 40s and 50s one because the car allowed it to happen because people could just do it and it, it all started because it was simply it was unplanned and it was a financial incentive and like if you put a financial incentive over there the market will respond and then once it responded enough it became a culture and it became a thing that was protected and defended and it became ingrained in the society of St. Joe County. Um, like interesting enough, like I, I, I'm not talking about Granger here. Like we usually are when we talk about like, like we're talking about clay township, like just right outside the city. We're talking about the suburbs just on the South side. Um, even though Jer- uh, Granger was the, the area that was pushing this because they didn't want to get annexed by Mishawaka, like something that was purely almost like a, an accident like if if something different would have happened so if say soil made it where people couldn't have well and septic in south bend maybe this never happens um you know mm. if the county government in the 40s and 50s said hey this seems bad this seems like it would lead to a lot of bad consequences down the line and, and we want to make sure we plan our our county's development not make it piecemeal everywhere like no we're going to make it where like if you want to live in the county you have to have like an acre of land um that would have changed it all. Like it would have taken just tiny things in the forties and fifties to shift this. Um, but once it got going and once, you know, the proverbial like snowball started rolling downhill, Salpin couldn't stop it. Like it missed its opportunity to stop it. And then now it's, it's almost, it, it, we are stuck with the situation we have. Man. That's quite a history. Yeah, it, it it blew my mind. I, I it I didn't know it ever got that bad. Where like you know, like the, this this huge conflict between the two. And um, interesting enough. So I I I should say this too. It's been very bad for South Bend that this has happened. I think for one, it's because it's it's balkanized St. Joe County, where we have instead of really looking at like the actual economic community of South Bend in the population, like being one as big as possible so that we have the most weight and that we have the most resources. Um, it's split up where, and then, and we fight each other. Um, that's bad. It's bad because poor residents who have remained in the city pay for all those things I talked about above that we subsidize. Um, it's bad from an environmental standpoint because all these new roads and all these farmlands we've paved that were built poorly not poorly in since the houses are bad but like bad de- urban design like all those have consequences but there right. there is a silver lining in it to south bend where i say at the very end it, it's possible it's a 
it might have been a blessing in the skies in the long run of like if you're viewing South Bend from like a 500 year perspective of like what's going to happen 100 years from now. Because most of the stuff that was built that we tried to annex doesn't produce enough tax revenue to even pay for itself. And this is this gets kind of complicated and confusing. But initially, when the house is built, the developer puts in all the roads. Well, so for the first 30, 40 years before the road needs repaved, all that tax revenue from that little house goes pro- it's profit because the city or county that they, in this case, the county didn't have to do anything. It just had to make sure that like the township had to make sure it had fire protection. When those roads start to be re- need to be repaved and hey, maybe all these septic systems are failing now, um, as we've seen. It's going to cost a lot of money to keep that going. It's And just the way that urban densities work, single family homes generally, and like we have, the city has studies on this that we've paid for and that are, if anyone's interested, Google Urban 3, which is a develop, which is a, a firm that does this analysis for cities. Even the most dense single family homes sometimes break even, but usually are still a loss. More suburban style housing never pays for itself. So the county is going to have to find a way as all these older homes, especially these ones built in the 50s and 60s and 70s, as these homes are starting to become not wanted as much anymore. Um, you know, they're not the newest house anymore like they used to be. They're they're outdated um, as the roads start need to be repaired, as the fact that people maybe want sidewalks and they don't. They're going to have to uh, they're it's really going to be a negative for the county that the city is not liable for. If if this annexation in the 90s would have gone through and happened, South Bend would have been liable for paving all those roads. And yeah, mm-hmm. initially it would have been a huge jump in, in tax revenue. But if at a very low at a very individual level, if the house does not pay for the road that's in front of it, it's not good for the city to have that house. So even though it had all the, I still think at the end, it, all the social factors and everything else and all the big thinking, I think it, it would have been better if all along the city was controlling the growth and making sure, making sure that it had a return on investment. Um, but there is a slight blessing in disguise that it's possible like 50 years from now, the city will stay profitable in the fact that it can still provide these services while the county is really, really struggling to pave these roads, clear these roads for snowplow. And it'll be interesting. Maybe we'll be wrong about that, but that is one slight thing that a lot of the stuff that was built during this time frame we're talking about doesn't produce enough tax revenue to even pay for itself. Hmm. It's like a slow burning boom roasted to them then. It kind of like that's <laughs> what's sad is it's it's not going to be the initial people paying for that, right? It's going to be just random yeah. people who are going to buy a house um who are going to get saddled with it. Um there's a reason the county like I'm going to be careful what I say here, but there's like the there's a reason the county has a usually there's they have worse budget shortfalls in the city right now. And a lot of it is because a lot of their land um, is unprofitable for the roads it's on. Right. But this is kind of like one of those what's old is new again, right? Like discovering why cities were such an invention to begin with. Yeah. (laughs) Is that like the density and shared services and like 
like there's there's a way that c- c- cities can work well um and just throwing that out like it doesn't just necessarily take care of itself in the long run yeah and it, it and there are some people who disagree with that who say no like if you factor in all these factors like these things pay for themselves so there there's disagreement i i do fall on the side that like urban densities are required if either you should have a city with like pretty dense living even if it's single family like make it make it pretty dense smaller lots um or do rural county very limited services small little road you know and don't have anything in between is is my perspective obviously a lot the the american people disagree because suburbs are like suburbs are america at this point um but it doesn't even if we're right and even if this ends up being a blessing in disguise for the city it still doesn't change any of the history that we were just talking about where like the city still pays like for all those things that these people get um that they don't pay for that's the tweet 